And welcome to episode 369 of the Siren Studs Podcast. I'm Kurt, joined once again by my spectacular co-hosts, Peter and Jake. That's right, Kurt. It's the um, it's the frog in your throat competition edition, and I'm a, I'm a shoo-in for the winner today. Um, you'll get to see in real time as this frog comes out of my throat <laughs> as I finish uh, this vocal fry. Um, you know, for any, any guy who has ever woken up in the morning, you may you may also know this phenomenon. Oh yeah, <laughs> Everyone oh, really? all you guys who don't wake up, who never <laughs> just up. never go to sleep. <laughs> rip, rip, never once been awake. <laughs> Basically, um, there's there's little tuning uh, knobs on my neck, like Frankenstein. That's what that whole thing was for. It's so you could tune up his voice. Um, but uh, speaking will do that. So as I speak, I will get higher in pitch. <coughs> it's actually <coughs> all right. It's a little hard this Don't morning. do that. That almost broke you. <laughs> that's that's great audio. It's great radio. Cough right into the mic. No, do it right into the microphone. We want to test those. You want to get real intimate, real ASMR like, and just hack a lug <laughs> right in there. I'm about to turn the gain up on this bitch and start tapping it with my fingertips. I'm going to jostle it around. With someone yesterday, and um, I had to pause in the middle of the conversation to walk out of the room and just, just hack a loogie into the nearest sink and then walk back in like nothing happened. <laughs> like, you, you didn't know. You don't know shit. You would never, you would never have realized. The the fucking the pee. So I'm glad I'm I'm back to being an outfielder in softball because you can just fucking hack your loogie back there. No one knows. No one cares. No one knows. Nobody'll ever know. I used to pick flowers. I brought my Game Boy when I was an outfielder. <laughs> it was little league. Nobody's hitting it out there. <laughs> Occasionally I'll have balls hit my way, but <laughs> Are we recording this from an outfield? Uh, no, I I haven't decided on where I'm gonna we're gonna record this week, but it might as well be from uh, just all over the place in in a, in a bagel in the bagel the bagel of the multiverse um, because yeah. apparently that's uh, critical to every multiversal really event, uh, and we're recording on top of that bagel. We're like the little seeds on an everything, everywhere all at once spider bagel. Spider bagel. <laughs> New from Panera. I really hope that this. I really hope that it does. Climactic fight does end on a bagel. That'd be a, zero chance. That'd be a good. Um, I don't know. It feels like it might be a little, a little too much undercutting. Bagel is the pinnacle of everything. It has to be. Well, it all goes back to the beginning, right? We'll we'll talk about we'll talk oh, yeah. about this. But that wasn't the first. the The beginning was the the first collider test where. Where Peter Parker dies. That's the beginning. That's what brought the spider back through. I guess. But, I don't know. Catch me out here still holding out hope. Hoping on a bagel. Yeah, I want to go watch the first spider, uh, Spider-Verse. And, uh... I, I watched it again because I had... I thought I spot... 
forfeited a couple of continuity errors. Turns out I did. Um, and we'll discuss those. But maybe it's maybe it's laying seeds for some 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 different reveal. I don't know. Could be. Could be. We'll see. Um, we'll see after 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 we get through all this really quick because you know if ever there was a movie that would make me do my actual job on this show, <laughs> trailers at a reasonable pace, it's gonna be this one. All right. Um, let's get right in the trailers then. It's it is Trey Watch, and I will start off with one that um, is not. Not on our beloved, our, our, well, I wouldn't say beloved, uh, maligned uh, Rotten Tomatoes trailer. That's that's more accurate, yeah. <laughs> um, no, I'm going to talk about, quickly, I'm a Virgo, a.k.a. Lil Kaiju, the story. Um, this is a, I believe this is a Boots Riley joint. Um, yes, that is correct. It's about a, a just a really large, a very, very tall black kid. He's like 13 feet tall, and he's coming of age. And it's, it's a little bit of magical realism going on around here in that way that it does. Yeah. I think there's, like, there's like a superhero going on in it, and it's a lot of him bumping his head on stuff because he's, he's just gigantic. And yeah, I wonder how many ensues. how many variations of that joke you can possibly do and have it be funny. We're we are going to find out, kids. Yeah, he's really tall. Okay, I didn't watch the trailer, uh, but yeah, okay, I get it. There's a lot of those jokes bopping Young his head. Back pain from hunching over. Uh, that's this is um interesting. It looks a lot better than I would have expected. Like a a live action large person because the last time I've seen something like this it was like the BFG and that did not go over very well. Oh. Ooh. Yeah, no, this feels this kind of has the same aesthetics for me as like a music video. Like this feels like an extra long skit before a music video starts. Yeah. Yeah, the budget doesn't seem to be huge on this. Oh, it's a TV series. Oh, it's a TV show. Yeah. All right. Huh. That that is uh, actually intriguing. So I guess we're really gonna find out how many <laughs> how many hit your head on the ceiling jokes there are gonna be. Every yeah. every episode there has to be at least like five. Absolutely. It's gotta be it's gotta be one of those where it goes from funny to unfunny, back to funny, back to unfunny, and then one more time back to funny. I had to make the cycle twice. I that's that's tough to do. That's a big ask. I I didn't. I, uh, you didn't care for um, uh, part. Uh, I beg. What was the movie? I beg your pardon. Sorry to bother. Sorry oh, to sorry. Bother sorry to bother you. Sorry yeah. to bother you. <laughs> I wanted to like it, but it just wasn't very good. So maybe maybe this will be uh, a step up. Who knows. I saw. I, I do sh- see a lot I of comments so. in this talking. They they saw the word Virgo and their astrology brain just fucking took over like a head parasite. <laughs> like, oh, I'm a Virgo. I'll watch this. I'm a Virgo, and I love being a hermit. LOL. Proud Virgo. <laughs> just 
just not engaging with the content at all. They just saw the word Virgo. Yeah. It's like a sleeper code. Uh, quote, people are going to try and use you, and when they can't use you no more, they are going to try to get rid of you. <laughs> Life of a Virgo. Let's go. <laughs> yeah. Totally. It's... Oh my god! Yeah, because the month you're born in determines so much it about determines the rest <laughs> your of your fucking life. Such a dumb. My Mercury was in Gatorade when uh, when I was born, so <laughs> I don't know what that means. <laughs> there was Mercury in your Gatorade when you were oh, born. That's why. That's, what it was. that's why you turned out the way you did. That's <laughs> why I have a. That's why I have the fin. <laughs> <laughs> Swim class was fin weird. Right in, fin right in down on the coast. <laughs> well, you guys have crabs are so popular here. Glad to know I have a claw too. I'm I mean, carcinization is just slowly happening. To I the people love of Baltimore. carcinization, and I can't wait until we become crabs. And I hope maybe my fin is the beginning stage of that carcinization. Uh, <laughs> I got some scaly skin on my like left thigh. That might be the beginning of my shell, maybe. That might also just be a sulfuric acid burn. I've had that. You also. might also just be ashy. Yeah. <laughs> I don't use lotion at all. I take a shower in sand from you the Sahara. You get shell polish. Yeah, I, uh, I, I, I jump into a uh, a walnut blaster, uh, and that just cleans me right off. I just crush walnuts to to just take off the outer layer of skin dirty. and dirt, like a walnut, babe. Yeah, I got a walnut I'm blaster. Get you a walnut blaster. We don't have showers here. We have walnut blasters, and if it's a extra ripe day, we'll just hop in the sand blaster. I'll peel that outer layer of skin right off. You don't need it. You'll grow it back fast. <laughs> All right. Um, you got six more right under there. <laughs> the hill. Uh, um, yeah, this is a bit of a throwback type movie. Um, it's a inspirational sports movie starring Dennis Quaid, who's sounding and looking a lot like Tommy Lee Jones these days. Yep. And um, uh, yeah, this, it's this about, feels like it, it's coming right out of the writer's strike. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, I'm sure it's the writing in this trailer doesn't doesn't seem uh really. Ex- it seems uh on par it's very boilerplate yeah like there's there there's (laughs) this feels like it could just as easily be like uh a fake movie trailer Mm -hmm. for generic inspirational sports movie yes um so like there's nothing new here nothing's really gonna be innovated upon um it's from the people who wrote Rudy and the Hoosiers, so they've got experience in this genre. Um, I'm sure it'll be fine. Yeah. They'll show it in this is a this is the movie you wheel into class when the teacher got has a hangover. <laughs> <laughs> when they wheel in the uh the giant cathode ray tube TVs and Yeah, this is gonna be in your ableism, anti ableism class. Uh just as well i mean oh, so yeah, like okay, okay. like that remember what remember the titans is to racism yeah 
the hill will be to ableism. And there's going to be like one crippled kid in the back who gets really kind of like awkward whenever this plays. It's like, yeah. I mean, I'm not going to cure my disease, but I guess this kid can play baseball. Everyone just starts looking at him. <laughs> so when are you going to stop faking, nerd? <laughs> I bet he's not even crippled. Tip him. When, when does that, when Tip is like anti- <laughs> yeah, when when does anti ableism sentiment reach reach the fever pitch where bullies start picking on the kid in the wheelchair, <laughs> I, like pushing him out there? It's like I don't want to treat him any different. We're probably already there. <laughs> All the kids are so online that they're like, "We're yeah, like he bullies me online on COD every night, so I'm gonna tip him over when I see him in school the next day." <laughs> yeah, you called me three different slurs. <laughs> Of course, you're I'm an gonna... awful por- person. You just happen to be in a wheelchair. Yeah, I'm gonna tip him over. He's awful. Oh, gonna... We got it. It's all about. <clears throat> it's all about the handicapped school shooting, where he... the kid with MS comes in and one of his let his hand crutches is just an AK. Are you suggesting that like a fucking FDR werewolf? <laughs> Slayer yes. minigun in the wheelchair school shooter. I am advocating for a Killer 7 sort of uh, school shooting situation. It will share. have diversity in our school shootings if we're going to progress as a country. You know, I I think I did see something about the NRA coming out with a new handicap accessible AR-15 where it's mountable to your wheelchair. <coughs> uh, I Let me, yes, let's let's take a look. So I could see that. You yes. Know? Okay. So the the movie is the movie I was referencing was FDR American Badass, and just I'll, I'll link the IMDb. Just look at the movie poster. That's what I imagined when Peter said the handicapped school shooting. Wait for which the IMDb for which? FDR American Badass. I put the link in the, oh, the chat. Okay. Yeah. Let me see. Yeah. Yeah. That's about it. But uh. I did find some actual images of um, of wheelchair uh, rifle mounts because I mean, if they want a sport shoot, I guess. <laughs> yeah, it makes able. sense. Gotta have that chance. Uh, I have I have the full trailer uh, for those of you watching the video version of this podcast. Please enjoy the full trailer of <laughs> FTR American Bats without sound. <laughs> gonna go on in the background there. <laughs> Oh, this is a one for quadriplegics. So, like, it's remote. It has you can do it by remote or like it has the little on. yeah the straw thing. Yeah, it's a robot armature. <laughs> That's I don't know what that is, but it's something for sure. I can tell you that much. Some stones may break my bones, but my words control a two thousand twenty five hundred dollar robotic servo that can shoot you from a, from five hundred yards out. <laughs> all righty um let's let's talk about hidden strike a movie that uh probably won't be like a great movie but i still am interested to see jackie chan and john cena stall star in a low budget mad max ripoff um, I, I guess this was the one upside of <laughs> of them both expressing very strong China loyalties. 
um, is that we can have team up movies like this. Well, I don't, <laughs> John Cena. <laughs> I don't know that I expressed strong China loyalties. I think he was maybe encouraged by the CCP to read a prepared statement after he uh, egregiously acknowledged the existence of Taiwan. <laughs> you get to bing chilling with Jackie Chan. <laughs> Why don't you bing chill out, John Cena, <laughs> with your political rhetoric? Yeah. <coughs> they did... They've done um, a lot of makeup on Jackie Chan. Oh, yeah. He's got the CGI Vaseline all over him. Uh, Cena, too, a little bit, honestly. In one of the clips, he looked like a fucking swollen Joel McHale. (laughs) (laughs) This has the classic, like, this also has the classic, like, the Chinese title card segments where all the words are made out of granite flying (laughs) through the air. I don't know how to, I don't know how to describe it specifically, but it is a, a very particular way of doing the the intertitles. Uh, in well, it's it's a very old, like I don't know, mid aughts, <coughs> maybe extending into the early twenty teens style of like when you were making your titles, everything had to be textured and match like the vibe of the movie you're trying to make. Like every action movie had either concrete or granite or like barbed wire shit all on their fucking letters. Like I can give you a million examples of this, like Punisher Warzone and fucking uh, Crank. and (laughs) Probably many of the Fast and Furious movies. Yeah, there's... Anything with Gerard Butler in that time period. <laughs> yes. Oh, Probably Blood. Blood was the like other fucking, popular one. I bet you Shanghai Nights. The sequel Kick-ass, I think. Movie. Oh, yeah. Shanghai Nights. Just, those were, just pick any, those were entertaining like, movies. Lightly actioned movie from from this era. Yeah. And yeah, I, I will bet you dollars to donuts. So this movie feels like a throwback in that regard, and I'm here for it. I I miss the schlocky action of that of that era, uh, where it was all low consequences and <laughs> yeah. just you watched it, you enjoyed it, or you didn't, but you at least found something that you were like, yeah, that was that was mildly entertaining. Mm-hmm. All righty, um, that's Trey Watch. That's I think that's a record. Yeah. I think it's the fastest. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm on my hustle game today. It didn't take much. Fastest tray watch ever. Let's talk now of follow-up. Let's let's follow up on some of these movies we've looked at in our trailer segment. And <clears throat> Memorial Day weekend was last weekend, so we have a, a big old box office to, to look at here, uh, counting uh, the Monday here. Little Mermaid opened with a preposterously high $118 million I mean, in 4,300 theaters. Kid movies, man. They don't care. They don't care about quality. It's like I guess they, so. It's like they have to try to not make money. Well, you know, yeah, because, like, well, you see, the thing is, not all of them did. That's right? true. Peter Pan and... and um, Mary Jane, whoever the Wendy, Mary J. Blige, 
Well, that that went straight to Disney Plus, yeah, didn't it? Went straight it? to Disney Plus, and that I heard that was so, pretty bad. So did Lady and Sh- Well, most of them have been bad. I have heard very few people say that any of the Disney remakes are like objectively good movies. Oh yeah. But yeah. the reason they make money is that you get all of your Disney adults to go see it because they, they have the childhood nostalgia, and now they have kids. Yeah. Now they're all in their 30s and they all have fucking kids. So you have like double the money, sometimes even more than that, because maybe they have more than one kid. <laughs> well, on top of that, it's like, it, you know, people are going to be curious regardless to go see it. So like they might walk out thinking they hate it, but Disney's already got your money. Yeah. <laughs> like it's just like, That's how it works. Disney's got your money. <laughs> <laughs> you can hate it all you want. They already got your money. They, they don't care about your opinion. Yeah, they um, don't give a yeah, shit. It's, it's, a, it's a money printing machine. What do you guys think the next big... Um, well, yeah, before we head into spotlights, what do you guys think the next big uh, Disney remake is going to be? Well, we already know what it is. It's the Questlove-directed oh, Aristocats yeah. <laughs> remake. <laughs> That's going straight to Disney+. Plus. My foolishness um, for thinking Disney didn't didn't already have five more of these lined up. I don't know. I, I, the, the morbid part of me wants to see them remake Pocahontas. <laughs> Just to see how how much of that movie they, they're willing to stick behind. Oh, what, what did that movie go up against directly? Like, it was... They released Pocahontas as, like, their big, serious movie, and I think they... Was it, like... Did it go up against like Aladdin? No. Like, oh, oh, no. I don't think Disney would ever cannibalize their business like that. So here's the uh, upcoming live action Disney remakes in development. We've got Snow White. And these are all really tentative dates because of the writer's strike. Snow White uh, scheduled to be releasing March 22nd, 2024. Lilo and Stitch, May 10th, 2024. I think that one might be a direct to Disney Plus. Um, They're doing a live action remake of Lilo and Stitch. Yeah, yeah, that was what big the press fuck? A while ago. There yeah. was a there was a good. I, I mean, that doesn't surprise me at all. There was a good meme around, going around Twitter about uh, like a, a mock up of like what a live action Stitch would look like, and it looked horrible. And people <laughs> were joking that this was like the next one. Uh, is this a f- funny Sonic, haha joke. Yeah. Um, now get ready for some ones that'll send you. Uh, Mufasa, The Lion King, releasing July 2024. I think that's a prequel to Lion King. Yeah, I would assume so. Uh, Moana, in development. Oh, shit, I did hear about yeah. that. That's so soon. That is really soon. Um, <laughs> when you compare it to this one, The Hunchback of Notre Dame, in development. Uh, that's the, from the 90s. The Aristocats in development because the uh, Lady and the Tramp went over so well. Let's make it just cats. And Hercules. I think that one was coming out. Wasn't. I think that is a release date, Aristocats does. Um, I, I, it just says in development where I'm pulling my info from. But uh, it, could, it, it might just be an older article. But uh, yeah, that's, that's a lot of them. Um, yeah, I'm interested to. A, a live a, a Disney Hercules live action remake. They're gonna get the Rock. 
That's gonna be weird because he was already in a Hercules <laughs> Like that's right. They're gonna get him back. <laughs> Just do a sillier take on the character. Yeah. Has The Rock worked with Disney? Well, yeah, he did Jungle Cruise. I was about to say, has he worked with Disney since like the Tooth Fairy? But then he did a movie with them like last fucking year. <laughs> the Rock did the uh, live action uh, live action Moana announcement. So he's working with them on Moana. Mm-hmm. I I have no doubt that he will be involved in that. Yeah. All so right, well, that's the only role that would contain his ego is you get to play literal Hercules again. Yeah. Um. Anyways, two hundred twenty-four million dollars worldwide for the Little Mermaid, and more importantly, a place in our spotlight. Um. No one, no one seems to know how well this movie is being reviewed because every site is claiming they're being review bombed. And I'm sure there's some of that happening um, because of, of the decisions made with, with casting in this movie. Yeah. Um, but and probably not as much as yeah. Reporting. Yeah. And, and I've read like reviews from newspapers from self-professed Disney nuts who said they didn't like it. And I've read some reviews in IMDb user review section that said they did like it. Reviews such as this one from MHVP. Uh, is 10 out of 10, or their 10 out of 10 for Little Mermaid. Better than expected. May 25th, 2023. Was so lucky to have actually seen it two days before it comes out via an AMC Theater's early access screening in 3D. The main reason to see this, the wait, the main reason to see it is Halle Bailey and her amazing performance as Ariel. She nailed all aspects of the role required. Same because Melissa McCarthy was also right pick for Ursula. Alan Menken did it once again with the iconic score and specifically little new touches to the story to expand on Ariel and Eric's relationship earns an extra point, <laughs> making us really be. Quote, a part of their world, end quote. <laughs> the visuals look better when seen in 3D, and it looks so much, much more technicolorful, in quotes, than the trailers. <laughs> Definitely go and see it. <laughs> and don't listen to the review bombers. The madness needs to stop, and I mean it. <laughs> Going with an open mind. <laughs> 119 out of 644 found that helpful. I fucking, oh my God. I, I only read all. the first like half of this review before I pulled it. Technicolorful is now going in my official lexicon. <laughs> mm-hmm. That one's going in the box. Yeah, so I, I heard about a I heard about a story about um about this. When it did release, uh, I think Philip DeFranco covered it about how it was getting review bombed. And I, I was trying to find the chart and I did find it. Um, so it's got 10,000 10 star reviews, 24,000 one star reviews. And like in between, they bounce between one to 4,000 of each review. Uh, so yeah, they did, they weighted it to a certain extent. Um, and has an unusual activity banner uh, detected yeah. uh, unusual voting activity on this title to preserve reliability of our rating system and alternate weighting calculation has been applied. 
So they haven't removed them. They just weighted it. They're just calculating it differently. Yeah. So here's the thing about this that always makes me laugh, right? Is when these movies come out and the audience score, or the user score is bad. And they're like, oh, it's being review bombed. It's being review bombed. But the critic score for the movie is also bad. <laughs> it's like, I don't know, guys. Can you accept the possibility that maybe someone made a bad fucking movie? Happens all the damn time. Well, I mean, like... Well, I'm not saying that this isn't a case of review bombing. I'm sure there's some stuff going on behind the scenes. It's probably very easy to find review bombing, especially with bots, because if they're all but coming at the same time, in at the same time... Like, yeah, okay, something's a little fishy. Ha <laughs> ha. But, but at the same time, like, astroturfing's a thing. Like, studios hire sure. people or now use ChatGPT to write a bunch of positive reviews for their movie and inflate the score that way. One so would like, I believe Kurt is caught. I, I, I have one that I suspect is AI written. Oh, I, I, am, I am no doubt sure of that. Um, I guess the question is, what's worse, you know, paying an, a human to do it or you worked on it and you want to go give it just a glaring review to boost the numbers, even if you don't think it's that that score or creating a bot or doing something, pressing a number to automatically generate, procedurally generate, especially with AI, you can come up with full reviews. Um, of like one stars in order to tank the score of it. Well, they do the that war, with the ten the stars too. Singularity <laughs> will be fought on the Rotten Tomatoes reviews. It will. <laughs> this is where yeah, we're it's, starting. It's crazy, but but let's 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 hear one of those review bombed reviews. Yes, let's see one of the quote unquote review bombed reviews. So we're gonna go with this one has uh, a lot of people found this helpful so let's find this one a lot of people looked at this thought it was worth worth a clicking saying helpful one out of ten open mind and fresh eyes are not enough i know it is a different genre and not to be compared to the original but even watching with expectations of a fresh take on the story wasn't enough to keep me interested they tried to make something new, but it wasn't too much like a sloppy cookie cutter that that it just didn't work. I won't be I won't be buying this one. Wait until it's on Disney Plus. Not worth the cost of the theater experience. I'm trying to give spoil I'm trying not to give spoilers, but the songs didn't work. The director clearly didn't know what they were doing either uh, either this one they were doing either this one. Uh, I felt like it was all over the place. Melissa did a great job as Ursula, but the rest of the casting could have been better. Uh, 348 out of 433 found that helpful. Why Why do people and find that's this? Because that was pretty a, reasonable like take. I know. Like, there was no, that was a there was no nice hate. Show, I'm about to give a 6 out of 10, which tears this movie like in another asshole. That was maybe the gentlest 1 out of 10 you've ever read on the I know. show. <laughs> but so many people were like, yes, this. I agree. <laughs> oh, there were more other oh, better ones. <laughs> Fuck. Of course, there's always so, there's 73 reviews uh, I can go through with the one out of ten. <laughs> and they're just gonna get they're gonna get more and more unhinged as you go down. Um, I'm I saw that the top rated review, the most helpful rated review, um, was a six out of ten. So I said, "Fuck it, we'll take it." 
um, from Tom Talks Films. Six out of ten, in all caps, but I'm not going to speak in all caps because my larynx might fly out of my mouth. Um, why, 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 Disney, do you keep making live-action remakes? By Tom Talks Films. Here we go. Uh, you think a company like Disney, with the amount of money and resources that they have to draw upon, would be able to develop some uh, original ideas? But nope, nope. Uh, here's another live-action remake. The biggest issue straight out of the gate is that pretty pr- is that much like pretty much all these live-action remakes is that it didn't need to be made. If I want to watch any of the films that have been remade, then nine times out of ten, I'm going to watch the original animation. They're just classics with heart that can't be recreated in live action. This man doesn't know what a hyphen is. Uh, <laughs> that being said, this film exists, and I have Limitless, so I may as well watch it. Uh, another, another big issue I had with this film is the pacing. It's, two, it's a two hours, 15 minutes kids film, and with the attention span that kids have today, even if it was well-paced, kids would be bored by the end. Uh, this film, to me, Felt like it had a lot of filler, particularly once, spoiler, Ariel gets her legs mm-hmm. in the second act, and none of it was was that interesting. For me, the film didn't add anything that would have made the animation better if it had been in there. That being said, this film isn't a total loss. Halle Bailey, not Halle Berry, cat emoji, is great Ooh. as Ariel. When she hits the high note in Part of Your World, I couldn't help but be amazed. In fact, that song was probably the standout scene of the film for me. It was brilliantly recreated. Bailey is also forced to convey the emotion of her character for a large part of this film just with her eyes, and she does a great job of it. I also felt Melissa McCarthy was great as Ursula, although I felt her character was underused in what was ultimately an anticlimactic final act. I do want to give a special mention to Javier Bardem, as he gives probably the flattest performance of his career as King Triton. Uh, I genuinely got the impression from his performance that he didn't really want to be in this film, and to be honest, I can't blame him, as much like his performance in the film, uh, his performance, the film, feels largely flat for the most part. 217 out of 330 found that helpful. That's pretty... Pretty reasonable take here. All right. So, Lisa Ford EA. <laughs> Ford EA has a 9 out of 10 review for The Little Mermaid that I believe was written by an AI. Uh, there are some, some weird capitalization things that make me think that perhaps not. Uh, but I'll let you decide. Absolutely brilliant. Definitely in my top five best Disney remakes of all time. <laughs> How many are you excluding <laughs> by taking what a top what five? What doesn't make that list? Uh, the Little Mermaid is a 2023 fantasy musical and stars Halle Bailey, John Howard, Howard King, Javier Bardem, Melissa McCarthy, Jacob Tremblay, David Diggs, Aquafina, and Jessica Alexander, directed by Rob Marshall, Into the Woods, along with music by Alan Menken and Lynn Manuel Miranda. This remake of the 1989 classic tells the tale of Ariel Bailey, 
a stubborn young mermaid who dreams of growing up to the surface. Her overprotective father, King Triton, for them, forbids her to leave, but she won't hear of it. Things take a turn when she saves a handsome prince from a storm named Eric King, who wants more in life as he dreams of adventure. So Ariel decides to make a bargain with her cunning aunt Ursula McCarthy to become human for three days and track down the man that she saved and may even love? Question mark. <laughs> will Ariel succeed or will her aunt do something terrible to ruin Ariel's chances of winning the heart of the prince? Overall, I absolutely love this film. The cast was fantastic, especially Halle Bailey. Boy, can she sing. The one that surprised me was Melissa McCarthy as Ursula. She really knocked it out of the park. The CGI, for the most part, is decent, along with new songs, except Scuttlebutt. I wasn't a fan, sorry. The chemistry between John Howard King and Halle Bailey was cute. Parenthetical. And yes, I shed a few tears near the end. Couldn't help it. Question mark? <laughs> I'm sorry, what? <laughs> the so... If if we if we if we if we take a step back here, the sentence without the parenthetical, which you should be able to read a sentence without the parenthetical, reads as such: The chemistry between John Howard King and Halle Bailey was cute. Question mark. <laughs> was it? I'm not sure. If you love the 1989 version, then you'll like it. As for casting of Halle Bailey, since she's black, I honestly thought she made for the role with her siren-like singing voice and her likable personality. Thumbs up. 53 out of 258. I kind of stumbled on the finish line there. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Was that AI? You decide. <laughs> Turing test, but for reals. So I, I have it narrowed down to a few. I might just do an honorable mention to one um, because uh, I'm looking at one that has uh, 1,200 votes total. Uh, another one has 1,100 votes. But the title, at least, I want to read. Um, this one only has 29. Uh, still the same chauvinistic story, harmful to our young. That's what I was looking for. Wow, that's not the take I was expecting. <laughs> uh, they, they had, uh, for example, they could have gotten rid of at least question the part where the prince has to kiss the girl in under three days. The shotgun weddings, yeah, okay. Um, what? As for, you I'm know sorry. What? Is... So their complaint with the Little Mermaid was that Ariel's not empowered enough? So actually, I, I did hear they, they changed the lyrics to the uh, the Sha La 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 Kiss the Girl song. Um, be the original one was uh like basically saying, like uh don't don't ask her, don't wait for like her to like say anything, just like go and do it, like spur of the moment, like just take the kiss, um, and they changed it subtly to all you have to do is ask, basically, like you know you want to kiss her, maybe she wants you to like just ask her to kiss first, and they just added that line in there. I and I'm sure there was like ten people who got pissed off and tweeted at it. Yeah, but um, you know the the character who has to leave her own society, um, and rebels against the world in which she grew up and to find uh -huh. love. No, not empowered enough. No, 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 no. She's not talking for for a couple scenes. Yeah, she gave up her voice, and like other girls have to give up their voice if they want something really bad, and then they also have to just pine over a man uh, as well. That's 
you know. Y'all that's know, what this y'all is all know about. in the original fairy tale that she gets she gets rejected and then dies at the end. <laughs> you know what? Maybe they should have gone with us. Um, but instead, there were there there were two, <laughs> two. Oh, by the way, both the ones with like the most reviews or most like votes had uh, uh, was talking about their daughter bored to tears and falling asleep. So uh, I'm gonna go with the uh, the one that's longer. Okay. One out of ten from Phantasmada. My daughter was bored to tears. I took my seven-year-old to see this last night, and she was fine for the first half hour or so, and then she became really bored with it. After about an hour and 20 minutes, she was asking if she could leave and do something else. That's not a good sign when even young girls don't like this film. From my own personal point of view, the film is way too long for kids. The songs are borderline horrific. Seriously, whoever thought putting a rap song in a film like The Little Mermaid was a good idea needs to be sectioned talk oh, that about like Aquafina's new song or whatever talk about butchering a classic film score it might be um i'm not sure what got no clue what, what they the added into in it movie. uh the special effects all i can say is how was a film with a budget like this big with this big been made to look so poor some of the underwater scenes look like they look like something from a playstation 2 cutscene. they are awful the animal characters in this, Scuttle, Sebastian, and Flounder, are dreadful. They look freaky, not cartoonish or charming, not even realistic, just weird and odd. And they really take you out of the film, whoever they're, whenever they're on screen. The performances are fine. No one in this uh, is terrible, but the script and songs they're working with are so subpar that anyone would struggle with it. I remember even as a young boy watching the original Little Mermaid and being absolutely mesmerized by it, whereas this one is dull, boring, and lifeless, and not just my own daughter, but other people's kids in the cinema were fidgeting, squirming, and complaining at around 90 minutes to make uh, to make of this. It's far too long to keep most kids entertained, and it's not pretty or charming enough to hold their attention for any length of time. Save your money and take your kids to a theme park or an activity center. They'll have a much better time. 868 out of 1,119 found this helpful. Jesus. It's a good moral. Yeah. Wait, how many people reviewed this? 1,000 uh, over. Yeah, this was over 1,100. The other one had 918 out of 1,232 found it helpful. <laughs> and it was oh still Lord. two and a half... Uh, two two hours and fifteen minutes of boredom. My daughter fell asleep halfway through. I do appreciate the moral of the story at the end. There, it's like just take your kid to do something instead of sitting there yeah. in a movie to watch something for two and a half hours. Interact with your kid. Be a parent. Um, side note: so the there are two songs plus a uh, what I'll call a day one DLC <laughs> song that's going to be released on the special edition. Awesome. Um, so Prince Eric gets a song, "Wild Uncharted Waters." It's like a '90s power ballad. Uh, the character Scuttlebutt, which is played by Aquafina, gets the song "The Scuttlebutt," um, which I guess is the rap song, the Lin the Lin Manuel Miranda uh, rap song, and then that everyone gets seems to hate. Possible <laughs> Child, and that was cut from the theatrical edition, but it will be out on the special edition on the Blu-ray. So that's the D- that's the DLC song. Um, all right, finally, I gotta. I, there is a there's a significant lack of unhinged reviews in here. They're all like full sentences and shit. So I gotta <laughs> throw in this one. Um, it's not completely off the wall, but it's 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 
beautiful. It's in its own way. It's the attack of the commas. So I'm going to be reading this in my in my best attempt at a Christopher Walken slash Guido voice. We'll see. We'll see what happens. Um, from from Don Murray, 29, <clears throat> The Little Mermaid, five out of ten. Cash grab. We know why they did it. Get money off us. But why do this? It's not good. Not even average. Dumbo, which was 2019, is better than this. The cast is good. They do look nice. Javier Bardem is King Triton. He is good. And they can sing, mostly. (laughs) The costumes in Italy look wonderful. But the dialogue does not work sometimes. The songs feel really weird, too. Underwater scenes, they fall flat. Only three work. As the visual effects is a mess. 70% of the time is bad. Very bad. The creatures, they try to make them have the fun of the cartoon, but they look and move freakish. And the singing number with Sebastian, Davey Diggs, and Scuttle, Aquafina is a horror. Not <laughs> worth the trip. Sorry. Three out of five. This also, Kurt, for, you, for your uh, edification, this also commits a, a uh, parentheses crime. Because Aquafina comes, the, the parenthetical Aquafina comes in between two commas. Oh, no. <laughs> Which is it, a parenthetical or a positive? <laughs> Choose one. But, of course, he's addicted to commas. This, this Don Murray. This Mr. Don Murray. Mr. Don um, Murray, yeah? That is, that is the spotlight. Well, folks, there you have it. Uh, it seems like between, between what we've covered uh, there and what... Um, more professional critics have said doesn't seem like it's a great movie <laughs> not, there, not too fantastic kind of a soulless remake which is what we all expected it to be yep. Yep. but so, by the time top. you've by the time you've seen it they've already got your money they got your money baby. <laughs> uh fast x is in a distant second with 28.5 million bringing its total worldwide gross to 524 million dollars jesus fucking christ <laughs> Just don't stop making money Hot on its heels And third is Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 $26.8 million uh, Bringing its total worldwide To $750 million um, Making it far and away The most successful Marvel movie of the year um, yep. The Super Mario Brothers movie Holds on to fourth uh, With $8.2 million Bringing its total worldwide to $1.285 billion. Will it hit 1.3? Possibly. No, it's not. Definitely not going to. It's going to flame out. <laughs> Huge disappointment. Uh, the Machine, starring Mark Hamill, <laughs> for some reason. Yep. Somehow we got the, him in there. Uh, so made 5. Okay. Interjection here. There's five new movies out this week, and I think I said last week. I like. I feel like there's nothing coming out for Memorial Day weekend, <laughs> um, and that's because all the movies that were coming out were like stuff that didn't like pop up on my radar as stuff I'd want to watch. Well, also, four of the five movies released in less than 2,500 theaters. I see. They were so the they could be, the machine only released in. 2,400 theaters, uh, made $5.8 million, almost 
total worldwide gross, uh, counting in the seventy-seven thousand dollars it's made internationally, uh, is seven million. So, uh, I, I mean, how much could that movie have possibly cost to make? I'm sure it'll be profitable. Uh, I mean, they got Mark Hamill. Um... Yeah, I don't know. But Bert played himself for the most part. It's it's weird. It's weird though. Like Mark Hamill's done so little other than Star Wars as like live action. <laughs> yeah. I I can't remember. I think I think I heard somewhere that like they asked Bert's father who like his dream pick would be to play him and he said Mark Hamill. Well, that's I nice. I don't think I don't think Bert Kreischer's dad looks anything like Mark Hamill. <laughs> no. Probably not, but maybe Mark Hamill looks like how he thinks <laughs> he looks. Um, about My Father, opened in the 6th and 24-64 theaters, uh, $5.39 million for Lionsgate there. Kandahar opened in 7th with $2.8 million on just over 2,100 th- theaters. Opening an eighth with one point seven six five million dollars. You hurt my feelings from A twenty four with uh nine hundred and twelve theaters carrying that movie. Uh that is about a novelist a long standing marriage is suddenly upended when she overhears Oh, it's the one with Julia Lou Dreyfus and uh Yep. I forget the, who plays the husband, yeah. Uh <laughs> He gave a bad review to her latest book, and now the foundation of her marriage is shooketh. Crumbling. Uh, in ninth, Evil Dead Rise, in its sixth week, rang in $1.3 million. That's made a tidy $144.8 million worldwide. Uh, very profitable, I would assume, there for Warner Brothers. And rounding out the top ten, we have Book Club, the next chapter in its third week, bringing $1.17 million. In 1,300 theaters, twenty that that movie's made 25 million dollars. How is that possible? Um, the we'll give a, it was a sequel. Another sequel. I want to give a quick shout out to down in 15th. We have the Wrath yep. of Becky. Yep. Opening in a, to a a I guess fairly strong 168,000 for a 274 theater engagement. Um. Interesting to see how wide a release this gets. Who knows? Um, they're they're plotting their own path right now. Yeah, the theatrical release sequel of a red box movie. Original. <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah. Uh, you got me. <laughs> Show me. Yeah. Show me what you can do. Alrighty, so that's going to be a wrap on that. Let's talk quickly some gaming news before we get into what we all came here to do. Um, Why don't you start off this week, Peter? Yeah, Um, I got a quick headline. Well, I got a couple, Um, and you tell me which one you want to talk about. Okay. (laughs) Yuji Naka gets his prison sentence for insider trading, or Codor 2 DLC abandoned... On Switch. Oh, what's the Codor 2 DLC all about? What? Yeah, sure. Um, Codor 2 on Switch. They were, they, I guess, they were trying to adapt the the uh, restoration DLC for it. Oh, um, they were going to sell you the free restored content mod. <laughs> yes, sir. Wow. Beer, uh, so last night 
the, telling Switch owners of the game that the update to add support for a series of fan-made mods, the fixer and bugs, and round out the characters, etc., etc., had been canceled. It's basically the unofficial final cut of uh, the RPG, and Switch players will now essentially miss out on it, despite the fact that it was previously marketed alongside the port's 2022 release. Yeah, Keith's been playing Coder 2 on the Switch, and um, I keep telling him, well, that's too bad. You're going to miss like 80, you're only getting like 85% of the game. <laughs> well, there you go. Um, so here's the tweet. I'm, they got the tweet right here. We'd like to thank the community. It's a classic dev apology tweet. <laughs> uh, thank the community for their passion, et cetera. Today we are announcing the Restored Content DLC uh, for KOTOR 2 will not be moving forward. We'd like to thank everyone by, con- by providing a complimentary video game key to players that purchased the DLC, or no, just perform per- purchased KOTOR 2. Uh, you may pick a replacement key from the following list. Um, mm. Star Wars KOTOR 2 on Steam, uh, KOTOR 1 on Switch, Force Unleashed on Switch, Republic Commando on Switch, Ep- Episode 1 Racer on Switch, um, Jedi Knight Academy on Switch, or Jedi 2 Outcast. Jedi Knight 2 Jedi Outcast on Switch. So you can get Jedi Knight games are pretty good to go. Yeah, you can get KOTOR 2 on Steam or any of their other any of the other Star Wars offerings. Um if you, if you are a Switch player affected by this, if you have any reasonably modern computer, like even if you have a laptop that's like less than like 14 years old, and even then probably still, uh get it on Steam. It you'll you'll be able to run it. Um, I actually think the, uh, the interface, once you get used to it, works better with a keyboard and mouse, um, despite having played it on Xbox myself, uh, all this time. It's, uh, it's a fine time. And Peter has, uh, done his annual game, his, his weekly gaming news blip out of existence. <laughs> so um, I, um... Call me a uh, shitty fan, but I love KOTOR 2. I played KOTOR 2 first. I know, I probably shouldn't have, but this is what was brought into me when I played it on the Xbox. Um, I did not know there was a restored content mod for this. Yes, you did. (laughs) Because when we did it on stream, we played it with the restored content mod. (laughs) Yeah, but I don't think I was... You were uh, there. (laughs) there for a lot of it i think i was there for like one or two episodes of it and i think if you talked about a mod i think i just like thought about it in passing well so is this a is this a good amount of content that it brings yes. ba- brings in it brings it brings back a fair amount of content unfortunately um so it doesn't bring back the droid planet um okay. there's a separate mod that does that um, I will say the droid planet is not nearly as finished as a lot of the other stuff that gets put back. But um, it puts back in a lot of dialogue. It puts back an entire ending area. Um, the HK-50 factory, uh, which you don't get to, which never gets paid off. There's, there's, and it always bugged me, the Xbox version, that there is this, because it's on Telos and the underground base uh, there's this door that you can't open. And like, I played the whole game a bunch of times on Xbox and I was like, why can't, 
what is behind this fucking door? <laughs> it turns out it's the, the HK-50 thing, um, which never gets resolved in the, the uh, market cut of the game. Um, it kind of hurts the pacing of the ending sequence a little bit, IMO, but um, it is something cool to experience uh, once, and I I don't play without the, the restored content mod. Uh, it also fixes a bunch of bugs and glitches, some of them helpful, like uh, <laughs> patches out the super saver exploit and <laughs> the false level up glitch, so you can't do fun things like make Mandalore or Jedi Guardian. Um, Ooh. <laughs> but uh, I mean, I'm sure there's other mods that let you do that. So that's the great thing about modding <coughs> is you're really only limited well, to your imagination. To, uh, I might have to take a look at this, and, and it's it so easy. It's on Steam Workshop. You just click the add it to your game, and installs all the files for you. Yeah, Couldn't be easier. Pretty... Subscribe. It's a pretty uh, well-developed mod, I would say. Yeah, it's been around forever. Um, and when they released it on Steam, I was really happy to see the workshop integration make it super easy to install. It was never hard to install, but it was a pain in the ass to update. And yeah. now it's a lot easier to do that because Steam manages it for you. Yeah. I know when I when I was traveling a lot, I would play uh, the, the first one on my Surface tablet. Right, all right. Not pretty good. Yeah. Um. Well, I mean, like most phones can play the original coder. I know. <laughs> it's um, it's pretty easy. I bought Knights of the Old Republic for the Switch, um, when I was flying to Greece because I wanted to have something to do on the flight, <laughs> and I got pretty deep into it, but I never That's finished it. Past time. Never finished it. Um, and I wish it played better. I haven't tried it on the Steam Deck to be honest, but I wish they would. Aspire would like update it in the same way that they did for uh Coder 2 and add in controller support and uh modern resolutions. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um uh, I, I will pay quick thing to, to you just to talk about the Uchinaka. He got arrested on two counts of insider trading. Um so I both of them he would he bought up shares before the release of uh, he would buy up shares in a mobile game company before they released a big game, which uh, pretty classic, pretty classic insider trading. Much like Al Capone, they got him for you know for the financial crimes to avoid the you know so they because they couldn't get him on the real crimes, which was Balan Wonderworld. <laughs> uh, so I was about to say, where are you going with this? And like a million plus dollars in fines. Well. The Japanese legal system actually punishes people for insider trading. <laughs> That's <Okay>. admirable. <laughs> All right, huge. Can't wait for your next game. All right. Well, so, I got a report here. Oh, do you want to go? Oh, you can go if you got it. So I got a report here about Redfall, um, and kind of the troubled development that it it wove. Bloomberg has put out a report here about uh, Redfall. the The gist of it is that. Uh, they knew it was bad, and most of the people at Arcane Austin weren't super excited about uh, working on a multiplayer FPS. Um, and a lot of the people that there that worked on Prey quit during Redfall's development, and the ones that stuck around hoped that Microsoft would cancel it after acquiring Zenimax. 
um, Microsoft did no such thing. And it released, as you know, to uh, very, very poor results to the point where Phil Spencer acknowledged that the game sucks, which kind of makes you wonder why they didn't cancel it. <laughs> like, <laughs> do that. it couldn't have made enough money to justify the reputation hit that everyone involved took with its release. It's, I, it's all automated now. They can't stop it once it starts. So, um, Bloomberg's investigation states that Redfall's development was afflicted by chronic understaffing. Arcane Austin's team of fewer than 100 people simply wasn't large enough for the job of creating a marquee multiplayer-focused shooter, a problem that wasn't helped when a dispirited veteran when dispirited veteran devs began an exodus from the project as it limped along. Around 70% of the team members who had worked on Arcane's excellent prey had departed the studio by the time Redfall was ready for store shelves, and the company struggled to replace their expertise. A brief moment of hope was delivered in the form of Microsoft's acquisition of ZeniMax in September 2020, though probably not in the way studio bosses would have preferred. Sources told Bloomberg that once Arcane Austin staff learned they'd been picked up as part of Microsoft's acquisition, they hoped the new boss would force a reboot of the project as a classic Arcane-style single-player project. Failing that, they just hoped the corporation would cancel development altogether, freeing them from the, a task the staff were neither confident nor enthusiastic about. However, no such mandate came. Instead, Microsoft allowed Cinemax to go on much as it had before, enduring a great deal of autonomy and ensuring the plans for Redfall remained much as they were from the start. A multiplayer FPS with barely any of the qualities of emergent gameplay tight-level design that Arcane was known for. Um... Small wonder then that it eventually released in the state it did. So, I mean, we all suspected something that must have been going down with Redfall, and now the first the first stones have been cast. I'd say yes. give it another couple months, and then Matt McMuscles will be on the scene. Which is what happened, <laughs> like and we'll have the full story. Content creators will be all over it. Yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't hold any grudges again. That I want to make it clear that I like Matt McMuscles and I like what happened. It's a good, good series. Check it out. Hardly needs the shout out from us, but we'll do it. We'll do it all the same. So there was um, quite a big story, and I was, I was thinking to myself when we got into the segment. I'm like, well, there's not really too many gaming news, but uh, I, I forgot to. Uh, bring up the probably one of the biggest gaming newses of uh I don't know last couple months it seems like other than like game fails and maybe the Overwatch two announcement mm-hmm. um so in this uh labor kind of struggle that we've been seeing in the U S it has uh, creeped into a area of labor that I did not expect it ever to leak into, and that is esports and into the world of League of Legends, which I am closely really? familiar with. And I was like, huh, what's this about? So I've been uh, just quickly reading up because I knew like the bare surface level of it, but not the specifics. So uh, a week ago or something like that, it was announced that Riot, uh, the... Uh, the developers for League of Legends and also the developers for a lot of other games, uh, including the very popular Valorant, um, big company. They're owned by Tencent, I believe, uh, and they're like Chinese based. 
Um, so they are, it's a very big company with a lot of different revenue sources. Um, and they kind of came down like a ton of bricks on the North American Championship Series by eliminating a mandate, which I don't know the ins and outs of it, but the resulting mandate, the rule change, would essentially eliminate like over 70 jobs from coaches, players, and managers overnight without any sort of um, like heads up, planning, nothing for that. I don't know why they ended up doing it this way, what the reasoning was into it without getting into the weeds and really diving into this. Um, but there is like a, uh, an unofficial union sort of, it's a, a LCS players association that is backing up the players and they've kind of been making all the, um, announcements of what's happening and kind of giving their responses to this whole situation. So that happened. And I guess it was voted on, uh, unanimously by all the players in the NACL, um, and, and to give you some background, North America is not really good a league. Like we've never won worlds. We go to like the world's tournaments, but we are usually the bottom of the bottom of the tier, except for maybe like one team gets um, into like I don't know before quarterfinals. It's usually all Korean, Chinese, Taiwanese teams. So right. those are the heavy hitters. Um, they're just fucking different. Like, it's, it is it is kind of wild. Um, so this uh, kind of culminated into a player strike. Uh, and the uh, just before LCS, uh, the League uh, Championship Series, which is this big North American championship series between all the NA teams that you can eventually win a slot to go to Worlds. Um in the next coming months. Everything is very scheduled. They have like arenas uh, rented out to play these. It's Mm -hmm. broadcasted on Twitch and everything. So it's a big thing. It's very, very popular uh, amongst the community around it. A lot of, a lot of planning and they, they just quit. They are not quit, but they strike. So all the players are on strike and they are delaying this, um, the series and Riot has responded by threatening the, uh, to cancel the entire League of Legends summer season in North America if a deal with the players isn't made. You know, this, this is kind of a weird thing where you can't just go out and play this anywhere. Like, you can go out and play football anywhere. You go to a different league, hop around. But, like, Riot owns a game, so they can't really go play League somewhere else. Um, uh, unless they... I guess change citizenship and get on a team overseas, but like that's a huge life change. Yep. Oh, I I also remember the other thing. A lot of the players and managers and coaches that could have that would have been losing their jobs. A lot of them were over here on a work visa, so not yeah. only did they lose their job, they lost their home. It could be, and they haven't yeah. been to their home country in like years. And they don't even have residency over there because they gave it up. They were living in the U.S. <laughs> so not only does this fuck over their like business over here, it fucks over people's lives like really bad. So this is like not something they're taking lying down, um, and they are uh, they're rising up and and trying to hurt Riot. They, Riot has responded with a series of uh, kind of rule changes allowing for. 
so in, in League, there's tiers uh, on how good you are. The top tier being the challenger tier, and the, the below it is diamond. They have made a rule change to allow for diamond tier, any tier actually, any rank you are, you can come up and play in the LCS if they oh reach boy. out to you. So they're, so they're, the, they're literally allowing like um, league scabs to come in? League scabs, exactly. So they are saying if you know how to click a button and play <laughs> league, uh, you can come and scab for a team and, and play in the LCS. And the Players Association basically came out and said, hey, if you do this, just know you're a scab and this is career suicide for you. No team will ever work with you again in, the, in North America if you go and, uh, and scab for Riot. You gotta, um, you gotta be like the Eagles and get the fucking picket line out front of the uh, the stadium and just yeah. physically block people from coming in. <clears throat> so, uh, yeah, there was there was a list of demands that, that came out. Uh, I just had it up here. Um, that they want to get uh, yeah, our ass of riot. So they want to institute a Valorant style promotion and regulation between the LCS and NACL. Uh, riot, which I I gotta say the uh, irony behind the North American Championship League being called NACL Salt for and they're ah. basically the saltiest players around. It's great. Um, riot uh, commit to a revenue pool for the player salaries of three hundred thousand per NACL team. Uh, per year, allow the LCS orgs to partner with their affiliates for cost sharing. Riot guarantees LCS minimum contracts for the following year for the five players who win the LCS Summer Finals each year, and institute a three-five roster continuity rule to provide players on released NACL uh, rosters first priority in maintaining their slots in the upcoming season. So, it, you know, I don't, I don't know how big of a hit a lot of this um, is. It seems like the flat money dishing out to some of the teams might not be that big of an issue, but um, when it comes to like revenue split and um, different contract negotiations, it seems like it's a big ask for Riot to introduce this. Um, who knows? I mean, this is their first asks. Uh, I don't even know if Riot's coming to the negotiation table because they're playing, you know, hardball. Right. Because uh, I don't know how much they lose. Um, yeah, I I don't well, feel that the players really have a lot of leverage in this situation, and it's tough because they they don't really. It's this isn't like a um, it's not like a work stoppage at like a manufacturing plant where if you if you leave work, the company isn't producing anything and they're losing money every single day that you're on strike. This isn't happening at all. Uh, so their leverage over Riot is kind of nil. I mean, it's just a championship league. I mean. It, that the in North America, so the only way I could see them, yeah, like possibly if, getting if anywhere the Korean players striked or something like, like that, maybe. they would have to get all the teams to strike along with them. Yeah, and I don't know if they're doing that. And like I know, league is huge in South Korea, huge it's um, a lifestyle. So like any amount of money that they lose in the North American Championship Series, they're gonna make it like tenfold. Yeah. abroad so yeah. unfortunately the thing about striking is you actually have to have <clears throat> some yeah, like leverage you, you have to have the collective to make the action yeah and yeah that's it's it's an uphill battle always 
All right. Well, let's yeah. let's move on to to happier pastures and let's talk about Spider Man. Spider Man. Spider Man. Spider Bite. Which one? Cross the Spider Verse. Long time um, coming. We I yeah, mean, been waiting five years for this. Uh, yeah. COVID really kind of warps your sense of time. I was thinking about when when the first one came out, and I was like. I think it was December of 18, but that seems like so long ago. That can't be right, but it was right. It's been it's been uh it's been that long. But um the reason it's been so long is cuz they were making both this movie and the next one at the same time, and as a consequence, we fortunately will only have to wait 10 months for the next installment yes. of the movie. Excellent. Although many people in the theater that we attended uh, did not know that fact. Both nights, both. I went. I went to see it again yesterday. Equally surprised reaction. One <laughs> end. But like, it doesn't. It didn't make a lot of sense to me because it felt like the movie was was definitely like winding down up to the end. Like it really felt like yeah okay so this is this is how this is gonna end right now. We're not gonna get resolution, but. I think it speaks volumes to the quality of the movie that everyone in the theater both nights was fucking ready for another two and a half hour movie right after yeah, it. Yeah. It's like, yeah. come on, keep it coming. Let's go. I was like, I, I think five minutes before it ended, I looked at my watch and I was like, oh my God, this is like, I, do we have a third act yet still? Like, are we in the third act? Is it oh, like, cause I'm waiting for like a big climactic um, end action sequence and we got a little bit of it, but I was like, I was like, is there another bit left? And it just ended. And I was like, oh. Your climax was the chase. Sneaky, um, sneaky. Hit you with the to be continued. Uh, so, yeah. And that's not even spoilers. That's like anti-spoilers. This is so that you don't get surprised. Like, you know what was really funny to me is because um, I had mentioned that, like, this movie originally was titled Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse Part 1. They changed the name of the sequel to be Beyond Spider-Verse, which is why they dropped the Part 1 for this. But, like, even at the concession stand, like, some of the, like, promotional material for, like, Spider-Verse themed whatever had Across the Spider-Verse Part 1 on it still. <laughs> so, like, everyone should have known. Yeah. But I guess it's, people don't watch trailers, I guess, because fucking, I remember when No Way Home came out and the fucking Doc Ock showed up. Or the Green Goblin pumpkin bomb landed on the bridge. People were freaking out. It's like this was in the fucking trailer. This, <laughs> yeah. this is Don't what be surprised. Would have enticed you to go see the film. You knew you know, this six months ago. <laughs> you know, I I gotta say, I gotta say one thing. I am I am always surprised whenever I uh, like meet somebody and I'm like, "Have you seen the new trailer?" And they're like, "No, I didn't even know that was coming out." And I'm like, "Are you not like?" online as i am <laughs> like what the fuck and some people just don't like to look at trailers yeah like and i mean i to be honest i was one of those people mostly um before we started this show like i never like went out of my way to seek out a trailer um i would like if they were on television uh which the television i watched at that point mostly would have been sports so if they advertised during like the yankees or jets games i would see it but other than that i would just hear that the movie was coming out or see a poster for it yeah um 
but let's let's talk briefly spoiler three stuff. Um, I loved it. I'll I'll get that out of the way. Um, I thought it was amazing. Uh, it was incredible. It's every bit as good as the first one. Uh, IMDb says it's better. It's got a nine point one out of ten on IMDb right now. Uh, the original had an eight point four. I don't know that if I would I would say it's better. It's different. It's hard to really. They tell their story so differently, and this is really only half of the story, so it's hard for me to really fairly compare them. I feel like when all's said and done, and we fast forward to, you know, that last show of March or first show of April next year, and we're talking about the three of them, I think that this is going to be the one I say is the weakest of the three, but it's still fucking incredible. Like, but it's it's like saying like this this chocolate chip cookie wasn't as good as the others. They're all great to eat. Yeah, like there there are no wrong choices here. <laughs> there are no bad movies. Like it's just. But the first one and the third one, I think, had just like a couple more bits of chocolate, and yeah, you know, they were just more just by the nature perfectly of this being the middle segment. Yeah, yeah, like. It's and like the first pancake. They you know did, the rest of them are going to be good. Yeah, and they did an the incredible one. job with like the kind of story they had mapped out, making it engaging and exciting. Because when you when you boil it down here, th- there's a lot of like exposition and just like small talk yeah. in this movie, but it's never boring. It's no. it's engaging the whole way, and it starts you off so strong with like emotional gut punches <laughs> like oh god <laughs> right this is yeah. the story we're going to be telling and this is uh who they do a very smart thing um which is because it, it ties into a bunch of things is that their first scene isn't with our main character miles um the first scene is with with gwen i would argue and the first scene is with our main character because i think gwen's the main character of this movie I can see that. Right. That's what. The, that's yeah. how they. That's how they kind of make this its own story. Is because that's always the problem. Is like you're gonna have the the Hobbit Part Two problem where it's like it doesn't resolve its own story and it's just sort of sitting in the middle and it's not a complete movie. But this is they they get around that by making Gwen kind of the focus of of this movie, um, and at least a deuteragonist, if not a protagonist. Um, yeah, so it you know, and it also I think for me, they crank up the art direction on this as much as Spider Verse One was already a visual feast. Um, they really they're like, all right, people coming to this have at least an idea of what the whole <laughs> the vibe of Spider Verse One was. <coughs> um, so they they just took it to the next level where it almost feels like a like a two hour long music video. I don't know how I, long this movie was. The, it was two and a half, two hours, 20 minutes. So almost two and a half hours. It's the longest animated movie ever. Um, yeah, that, that makes sense. And like it is wow. jam packed front to uh, tip to tail, front to back with uh, visual, like just visual uh, excitement and, and uh, rush. And, and rush like and, every, I, I really lo- you can tell that Phil Lord and Chris Miller absolutely love Spider-Man and have consumed so much Spider-Man content either on their own or in preparation for these movies because 
every Spider-Man in this movie is true to the art, if they appear in a comic, is true to the art style of that comic, and their dimensions are uh, mm -hmm. in that art style. Like, Gwen's dimension, like, every scene is drawn like it's from a Spider-Gwen comic book, and yeah. it's a very striking visual style, and their use of color to convey emotion in her dimension oh, is fucking God. incredible. Like, was... this is art. This is high art. Like, people who think superhero movies can't be art, show them this and tell them to shut the fuck up. <laughs> this is, yeah, this is the beauty of this movie, I think, is is the... Is the beauty I, of I, it. <laughs> well, I, I think this is where I noticed the most of it. I mean, story, character, development, like, aside, the thing that stuck out the most and the thing that I'm remembering now more than anything, is the art direction they went to. We got a little bit of that taste from Spider-Verse, where, uh, sorry, Into the Spider-Verse, where you had um, the detective Spider-Man have the uh, Spider black and white, yeah, yeah. And, and, you know, Miles Morales' universe had the, the comic mm -hmm. book effect, the kind of like the 3D effect. And you see, okay, you know, I see that there's different uh, different styles, but here they they really press on it and each person has their individualistic identity connected to their universe and you know our first taste of that and how they can utilize that with spider gwen fantastic with the emotion as the emotions change if it's raining outside the watercolor was dripping down the the change in tone over when the emotion changes from like her whole room is totally blue when she's like coming back and depressed and sad. And then her dad comes there and, you know, wants a hug and, and she embraces him and it just brightens up that, that room and that moment. And it's like a, you can just pause that right there, put it on a wall and it's just beautiful. Like I, I hate to say this to every other studio who's working hard, but like kiss your Oscar hopes goodbye for best animated movie like it's it's not even gonna be a competition i'm yeah. sorry to say um yeah and i think the reason it's so much more noticeable here is they they got to go to a lot of different dimensions and into the spider-verse it yes. all took place in miles's dimension um save like flashbacks and and whatnot but right. the um but the real i think the real kicker on this movie um before we get into spoilers and just start talking about everything that's awesome in this shit, um, the real coup de gras on this, or piece de resistance, whatever French word you want to use for it, um, <laughs> is is the tightrope walk that they do. Because if you're hearing about this and you somehow haven't seen anything about this movie, you might think, oh, this is going to make me vom. This is going to be incredibly visually intense. And like, if you're a grandpa, maybe. Um, but, but like, it's, there's a lot going on, but it is all very well balanced. The, yeah. the emotional highs and lows. This is not a Taiko Atiti swing fest. The, the highs and lows are measured out to a, to a to scientific proportions. To yeah, sure honestly. Not like, so that you're not taken out of it at any point. Uh, that you're always with it in, you're in it and you're with it. And the effect is similar to like sitting down with a concept album or like, you know, 
the old get your get your vinyl record out, put your headphones on, and sit in a dark room for an hour and a half, listen to the whole fucking record, and you go through the all the things, the highs and lows, and then you just kind of it's almost trance like. Yeah, there are a couple. There's one particular moment that I think, um, and it was more obvious watching it the second time around that the audience took to be humorous. But I think the the correct emotional read was you were supposed to have like a sense of dread, um, and we'll get to that when we talk about spoilers, um, because it's heavy spoiler territory. Yeah, sure. Um, but uh, yeah, like someone needs to sit Taika Waititi down in front of this movie and be like, "See, this is how you inject levity into a movie." Um, yeah. And I want to I want to get spoilers here now because um, I want to address something that people might a take I have that people might call me out as being somewhat hypocritical on and that spot um the the main antagonist I think of the next movie I wouldn't call him oh, the main well, let's, antagonist let's of this movie before we get into spoilers obviously very quickly here go see this go see this five times if you if this ever shows up in 3D go see it in 3D um get get the blu-ray watch it at home um if you are a fan of animation Go watch this. If like if you're a fan of three hour Scorsese movies and and just wanna watch guys in a room, in a smoky room talking for three hours, maybe don't watch this. Uh, <laughs> but that's the only demographic. Or or if you're a I don't know. I was gonna be like, Oh, if you're like a Christian mom who can't watch if it doesn't have the word Jesus <laughs> in the title, you can't watch I guess don't don't go watch this. But like everyone else Yes. You will yeah, enjoy when- it when the first like the high notes that come to my mind are eye candy and ear candy and that's even before talking about the really witty grounded writing and kind of you know s- simple plot for it being a multiverse movie um you know it, it's got everything you want and need out of a movie it is enjoyable to watch it is enjoyable to listen to so if you are blind and deaf don't go see this movie <laughs> that's um, probably the only type of person that wouldn't enjoy this movie is someone who yeah. is blind and deaf yeah because i i imagine it wouldn't be great reading it wouldn't be the best Braille. experience universe um, the novelization <laughs> yeah, we're gonna take some talented writers to kind of paint the word picture of what these and, places look yeah. like. And the acting, you know, from Oscar Isaac, Jake Johnson, he was he wasn't in there too much. Miles Morales and Haley Seinfeld, great voice actors, great voice actors. Even the the little the the random people you throw in there. Um, so we, the Spider Punk and Spider Man India by Kar- Karan Sony and uh, Daniel Kaluuya. Yeah. Great. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So Karan so is great. I, I I loved him as Dopinder in Deadpool. I was really happy that he he got work in another Marvel property. Yeah. Um, he's he's what I think Kanjal Nanjani is supposed to be. <laughs> yeah. He's Kumal Nanjani before the 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 buff up for yeah, Eternal. <laughs> Just don't get buff, Karan. Don't do steroids. It's not worth it. You'll turn into an asshole. You'll lose your funny. <laughs> You'll lose all your funny. Uh, but yeah, every every performance is a, is a knockout here. Um, all right, so let's let's talk spoilers officially, I guess. Um, 
so getting back to my point with Spot, uh, he's introduced. He's not. I wouldn't call him the main antagonist of this movie. Um, he definitely will be the main antagonist of the next movie. Um, but he he comes in and there's a very humor filled fight in the beginning between him and and Miles. Um, and he's kind of played up as a joke for the first like half of the movie until he gets to the collider and they do a really good thing where they flip a switch essentially and they take him from being kind of goofy to being kind of scary and they don't let they they don't change his character too too much but all of a sudden like the way he's talking and the way he's they don't change like the kind of things he says but they present it in a different way and it goes from being funny to being creepy hella quick and they don't ever reverse course from it like the feeling when spots on screen after the collider is the feeling that I wanted to have when Ultron was on screen in Age of Ultron I wanted to be uncomfortable whenever that character was on screen I wanted to be fearful for the safety of the the main characters and they accomplish that great i'm really looking forward to see uh what they do with him in in the next movie yeah because you you really think that he's very you know goofy lighthearted, and they say it right and, and it's you know mm-hmm. say what you will about the writing but it's like it, it, you know yeah they did call him the villain of the week so it kind of just puts that perspective in our mind so we start thinking of him as per you know villain of the week He's not any real big threat, but he slowly kind of reveals the fact that he does have powers that could be uh, pretty detrimental, and the fact that the the Spider Squad, uh, I forgot what the, the team name is, uh, but the, the, the League think, of Spiders. A, a spider yeah. Society was what yeah, Gwen spider, called them. Yeah, the Spider Society was concerned with them after uh, after a little bit, mm-hmm. you know. Then you start to realize, oh, okay, he's not only is he just goofy, but he's also menacing, and all of that stuff he was saying before, he says the same stuff. Like you took this from me, like I'm I'm your nemesis, like I'm right. going to take everything from you. He says that the same stuff, but in like you said, the tone changes, and it's very. A, menacing yeah a big part of that is definitely like the character design um again this is such a visual movie like that's i mean we go through the movie he starts out he starts out very human and at the end is very not human like when he starts out he's wearing clothes he's just walking around talking with people um you know he he looks very he, you know, or he looks like he's wearing clothes he does make a point to say it's his skin well, no, he's wearing a jacket and a hat and sunglasses. Oh, okay, all right, 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So even yeah, um, <laughs> that that leaves immediately. But he still has like human form. And he still has to walk everywhere, and then you you know he's appearing on the street in stores, and then later on you see him. But now he's like in a bombed out building. Like you see the the record of him as he as he escapes into the, the area, um, and then slowly after he hits the collider, obviously like you don't see him in a human context anymore. He's like floating in a void and he's got like multiple limbs and heads and he's like shifting and, and spreading and he's not really a person. Like he still says these things, but now he's very much like a force of nature. Yeah. It's kind of, it's kind of funny how in like two Spider-Man properties, I absolutely love the spot 
becomes like the villain that incites like the climactic story arc. Because uh, yeah. in the 1994 Spider-Man cartoon, the spot showing up sets off the chain of events that leads to to Mary Jane, you know, getting lost in in space. And time, yeah. um, and Which, it's funny that's here. If you want to think I, about it, I feel like this almost you can connect that line all the way from that to this. Oh, probably. Who knows? Maybe he shows up in that universe, and that's what that's all about. I didn't made see space it. Time faring Madam Web shows up in I, uh beyond the spider verse yeah that that would be neat as fuck i didn't they made I looked, so many connections they they showed a lot of connections and a lot of cameos but unfortunately i did not see the 1994 spider-man um and there he might be in there but he might yeah. might have been hidden i saw spider-man unlimited yeah. who was featured fairly prominently which was a show that ran for one fucking season. So if he's in there, <laughs> do my man Christopher Daniel Barnes justice and yep. put him in the movie. And I well, this- and I know they're going to save Supai the Man for uh for the second one cuz we didn't see him in this one and how are you not going to have the giant leopardon show up during a fight sequence? I I really hope Penny and her new mech get to fight Leopardon. <laughs> And have a giant fucking <laughs> robot battle. That would be sick nasty. Yeah. Yeah, I'm trying to think of like where if I did see him. I know was uh Ben Riley from this uh the Spider Man animated series? Um Ben Riley was in the Proto Spider Verse episode. <laughs> Okay. So when when they have the Spider Man from different universes, yeah, this shit's been done before. <laughs> so I was gonna say because they, they made so like I said they, they made so many kind of I mean it was very clear yeah. that uh, Phil Lord and Chris Miller did not like Ben Riley very much as a character. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they kind of goofed on him a, a, a bit, uh, making him. A, They're not a, wrong. They're not. Overly dramatic. It, yeah. yeah. Andy Samberg uh, played him, or voiced him. So uh, I, I I was going to look this up before the show, um, and I guess I'm looking up now because I don't know if anyone else is going to know this, but the Spider-Man uh, who says you don't have anywhere to go before Miles jumps out the window, mm-hmm. I think he may have been voiced by Thundercat, but I'm not entirely certain. Oh, um, no. did I see that? I don't know. I it did, it did seem like a very recognizable voice. Um, I would have said would have said Tom Clover, but he already has his own character in this. Yeah, they paid off the fucking Donald Glover's character being named Aaron Davis in Homecoming uh, of him as the Prowler. It's fucking six years later in a completely different movie, separate from the MCU. <laughs> yep. Absolutely. But also not so separate because they do reference the MCU uh, once. Universe. Um, they they reference Doctor Strange and and that and they show the Andrew Garfield and Tobey Maguire stuff and archive footage. Mm-hmm. The uh, tree, they have like they have the, the insomniac. Miguel is describing what the Spider Verse is. That is the MCU depiction of what the multiverse is like. A you know a fractal branching wispy tree. Yeah. Um, was it Metro Spider-Man? I don't know what the character's name was. I don't know what that fucking yeah. It was never named. So yeah, no. I'm gonna. Uh, so I'm, I'm looking at what the. Uh, it could have been. I'm looking at the IMDb list. There's so many fucking people. Um, because there's so many one-liners from different Spider-Man. Yeah. 
Um, there is a Leland Metro Boomin' Wayne um, that's Metro Spider-Man. Josh Keaton was Spectacular Spider-Man. Yes, I did uh, notice they, that they very prominently featured that. No one in the feeder either time appreciated the fact that that was the Spectacular Spider-Man from that cartoon. <laughs> I think I had I had some people go oh like oh I didn't know that's what uh, he was from yeah that's uh, a very I I never really watched yeah it's more recent it's quite beloved um you know I'm a big 1994 Spider Man guy so I never really went and watched a lot of it I watched the first couple episodes I think mm-hmm. and they were they were pretty good I could see myself getting into it if I gave it more of a chance uh there's Yuri Lowenthal was an Insomniac Spider Man. Oh, not yep. sure what. Yeah, so that's the, 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 the from one. the video game one, who's like video game oh, other gotcha, video game guy, and they they even put the marker out that that's Insomniac, Insomniac yeah. yeah, not not like an Insomniac that he doesn't fall asleep. I, yeah, <laughs> I was gonna say, I was like, what the fuck? Yeah, um, yeah, so many fucking Spider Man. Um, I have no, I don't, I, I don't know. My Google there. search didn't didn't hit anything. Yeah. Here, I'll start off with a question. I'll, I'll just throw a fucking question out there. Um, just well, nah, nah. Well, we should cut to the end once we talk about the movie a little bit, um, because it's a little bit of theory, theory crafting, which I feel would serve better once we've described what happens in the movie. Although, again, I don't need to describe what happens in the movie. It's it's pretty. The plot is pretty straightforward. Yeah. So Spot um, shows up. Miles is Miles is coming of age. He's fifteen. He's he's hit his growth spurt. The, Spider-Man 2 problem of uh, he's stretched too thin. He's doing trying to do too much. Yeah, and you know he's he's running into that problem every Spider-Man runs into of trying to balance being Spider-Man and being whomever you are under the mask. And it's leading to friction between him and his parents. His dad's about to make captain. There's a lot going on in his world. Um, but you know he misses he misses the friends he made in the first movie quite a bit, and that's kind of you know compounding these problems um and then it cuts to where we left off in uh we get to the point where we left off at the end of spider-verse so the you want to get out of here thing kind of like it's rejiggered a slight bit because you know the context of why he's in his room and that scene is not the same but i'll forget that it's not important um (laughs) just like i'll forgive how they renamed him uh, Jeff Morales, even though he's Jefferson Davis in the first movie, um, and that's his his character's actual name, which led me to speculate maybe there's some other universe chicanery going on there. I feel like it would have been better had they not referred to him as Captain Morales in uh sixteen six one six or sixteen ten, whatever yes. Miles' universe is. is. Um, and that would have been the the key that he was not in the right dimension at the end. But regardless, so Gwen shows back up. Uh, they reconnect, uh, but she's there on business from Spider Society, which get introduced during the first uh, scene with Gwen's background, where she fights uh, Leonardo da Vinci Vulture. Um, Leonardo da Vulture. Leonardo da Vulture. <laughs> That's got to be the fan name. Um, uh, it's our fan name, name now. For yeah. that one-off character that showed up for one fight scene. So yeah, M- Miguel O'Hara shows up just as brooding as he is in the 2099 comics. <laughs> just as humorless and brooding as he is <laughs> in his com- canon appearances. <laughs> um, 
and uh, Jen, Spider Woman, Jess, Jess Drew, Jess Drew, who that's the one character in this movie that I feel like they didn't do a great job with. And it's nothing really against the character. It's two things. One, she doesn't really do a whole lot in the movie of consequence. Um, right. Number two, her character's kind of inconsistent. Like she mentions when in her first appearance that she, she loves her husband and she has a child on the way. She's pregnant. Um, yet later in the film and not much later when Gwen's like, you never got close to someone. And she's like, no, I got over. I'm like, bitch, you're carrying the child (laughs) of yours and your husband in you right now. What do you mean? You're not close to anyone. Well, I think, I think what that was supposed to be was like the canon events that they're all supposed to overcome. One of them is probably heartache and heartbreak. Um, and I think that's what she might be referring to. That's what I got was the because they're talking about how also in every universe, Gwen and Miles get together and it never ends well. Well, Spider-Man Gwen, and Gwen Stacy fall in love and she gets killed yeah. by the that's a classic spider. Another great thing I like where they refer to canon events by the, the comic that it came out in like ASM 90 is Amazing Spider-Man number 90, and that's when Captain Stacy gets crushed under the falling debris. A lot of, lot of comic references, because they, I mean, they even show the comics uh, in there, which is like, they kind of break in the fourth wall? Well, break I in, feel like break... a lot of the people who read the comics have said that this this movie is almost a, a uh, critique of uh, hmm. how the comics have been treating Spider-Man in recent years. Yeah. That they keep dragging him back to the same... Uh, beats and sure. don't want to innovate on the character. Well, that's, that's just. Why they, I, I think that's comics, why they. So I can't. That's yeah. comics in general recently. Yeah, I mean they 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 keep on like referencing. Oh, I'm I'm this. I got bit by a spider and here and and they kind of show the different uh, the same events happening in the different universes, mm-hmm. uh, like we saw with like uh, Spider-Man India. And the the last uh, thing with with Jess is that like very seldom. What she doesn't have a lot of screen time, and when she's on screen time, very seldom is she being shown in like a positive light, I guess. Yeah, or being well, actively it, characterized, like she's there to chide Gwen. Yeah. When when we first meet her, it's interesting because she's like kind of a more motherly figure, kind of nice. Mm-hmm. Um, she's trying to talk Miguel into letting her join, which seems like. From a lot of the other Spider-Men, it seems like they'll accept anybody into the universe. Well, they were hesitant because of her connection to Miles. Oh, I mean, that they didn't want her to like do what she did essentially and go see him and like get in in his head about. But and and then the next time we hear from Spider-Woman, it's like, boom! Like I. I'm taking a snarky tone with you. I'm like, stern. Just go do your I'm, job. Yeah, she's like a completely different character from yeah. her intro scene to the rest of the movie. So I'm wondering if there was like a deleted scene where they showed more of their um, interactions, like in the. Spider- so here's society. here's my theory. Um, when I watched it the second time, I I you know you're you're not so caught up in all the the stuff being thrown at you, and you can kind of like hone in on some details. And there are a lot of subtle facial cues uh, when, you know, Miguel was saying, like, stop them. And when Gwen was talking to her, 
where she's kind of hesitant to disagree with Gwen. And especially at the end when she's watching the conversation that Gwen's having with uh, Miles's parents. I'm pretty sure they're setting her up to like side with the other Spider-Men right. in like the climax or the, the secondary yeah. climax. Where, however they resolve, because you know the next one's going to be there's the fight between Miguel's crew and Miles and Gwen's crew. And they have to resolve yeah. that. And then they're going to have the bigger prop. They're going to all team up to stop spot. Um, so like in that climax, I think just siding with either turning on Miguel or, or, or being able to get through to Miguel. Cause she's like his number one um, about, you know, like he's, he's viewing things the wrong way is going to be her character redemption. So I'm going to throw something in here. This was the question I was going to say. And I'll, I'll ask it here. Um, conspiracy theory. Um, is is Miguel O'Hara is the per, is the character we see? Is he the actual Miguel O'Hara Spider Man twenty ninety nine? So let me pu- let me put out a couple couple arguments. Um, his character design, specifically, what what got me going on this. Well, what got me going on this was a couple questions where they keep asking, like, are you real? Like, are you re- the real Spider-Man? Like, are you know, are you who you say you are? They ask him kind of questions along those t- uh, lines a couple times in the movie. He obviously has um, his thing with his fangs, which they show, they show, and yeah. that they kind of make a point that he's keeping a secret. And I think that's just regular Spider-Man 2099's powers. He has like that's he Mag- has yeah, fangs. that's Miguel O'Hara. Yeah. Uh, that's um, part of who he is. But it's it's those kind of things combined with, um, you know, his inciting incident was he met a, another version. Of, like, he went to a universe where there was another version of himself, a very similar universe. Um, and then the there's also the character design, which is, again, what tipped me off was the elbows. Because when you go back and watch the first one, um, and in the comics, I believe his el- his elbow blades are short. There's they're shorter, and it's two little blades on each elbow instead of the big long scythes. He had two blades in some shots, or at least it looked like he did. Um, I don't. Know. I I think that there's. I mean, certainly a possibility exists that they're gonna gonna pull that it would swerve. Be very interesting to me if it was. If it turns out that like. He wasn't actually Spider-Man. He didn't have any spider powers at all. He wasn't a sp- he was like an imposter. And the, you know, his mm. webs his webs aren't web webs, they're laser webs. So, you know, he could he could have been like faking it with technology, but it would make a great parallel to um, Miles, Spider-Miles and Prowler Miles. The <laughs> the uh, dark mirror that was set up at the beginning at, or at the end of this movie. Oh, that's mm-hmm. interesting. I'm just I'm reading some some notes, trying to. I'm on the Spider-Man 2099 Wikipedia page, just making sure I don't mix up some stuff. Um, apparently, uh, Spider-Man 2099 animated series was considered for 1991, but it was not developed further because Batman Beyond premiered earlier that year. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say it was probably gonna run right against Batman, <laughs> which Beyond had covered sure. that territory pretty well. Um, uh, instead, they went with Spider-Man Unlimited, cool. which. Uh, was uh not not great. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, so I'm just going to keep that as a weird fan conspiracy in the back of my head. Uh, yeah, I would, off, I would. I will. I'll be super. It's. I'll be uh, fucking vindicated as shit. But if not, then whatever. I'd be more apt to agree with you if um, I hadn't seen him presented similarly uh, in other media. Like, I think yeah. the laser webs are kind of standard. Right. Um, yeah. So who knows? Um, the right. Yeah. The, yeah. I just don't know how they would resolve kind of the, like, it seems like there's a definite, like the, when you mess with a canon event, cause that's what the, the kind of the, the meat and potatoes of this movie is, is that these canon events that bind all the spider to people stopped, together. It holds the universe together, and it could destroy a universe. It's it's like the, um, I mean, we've seen it time and time again with like some other multiverse stuff where you when you start to mess with uh, the MCU is kind of established when you mess with the timeline and these um, important events. So like in the Doctor Strange, a what if episode when he tries to prevent uh, the death of his um, the one the one girl, yep. uh, she like. The the universe falls apart. Like she she always dies in that car accident. Yeah, it's always. Um, I mean, that's a pretty well established thing. Like with multiverse theory, right now. Yeah. Like I mean, look at the Flash. The Flash is gonna hit a very similar note uh, in just a few few he weeks here. History and therefore makes the world a very different place. Threaten, threatens universe. threatens the integrity of of space time even. Um, but yeah, so like the canon events. Things like Uncle Ben or your or father figure dying, um, yeah, S.O. dying, uh, you know, all these horrible things that Spider Man has gone through in every reality, um, yeah, bind them together and kind of keep the fabric of the universe going. And I'm sure that would apply to multiversal anything, um, right. w- with the rules they've established. But it's particularly also, bad because when they go to India, spot. Getting back to our plot recap. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Spot um, needs more power. And he... Uh, Gwen's in the dimension of the monitor spot. Spot needs more power, so he builds a mini collider, and that's enough to get him going. And he goes to Spider-Man India's dimension and um, uses the big Alchemex collider there to become super powerful and scary. Um, and after he succeeds that, uh, they have to do some saving in Miles prevents the canon event from happening. He saves uh, Inspector Singh and yeah. the child. Singh's supposed to die saving the child, which disrupts He's put the canon. Out a Spider-Man Bollywood movie? <laughs> <laughs> That'd be wild. Um, I, you could do it. I believe in you. Yeah. Uh, so uh, that starts disrupting the integrity of that dimension. So the Spider-People come down to try to save it, and Miles... Gwen, uh, Hobie. We get introduced to Hobie, the spider punk. Um, yes, who is uh, among the top characters in this movie for how much, he's, he's, yeah. how much awesome. he's in it. Um, just an absolute G. They actually, they actually put in an actual anarchist character in a corporate product. Where <laughs> <laughs> he hates consistency. <laughs> um, there's the, again, a lot of fan stuff going around. People are saying that... Um, you know, the, our theorizing, all that stuff. He's always like grabbing random shit 
from around. He's like, oh, I thought that was what he used to build the. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I thought that was pretty obvious. I didn't think that was a theory. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I, I, people are. Oh no! I. I never. I didn't no. catch on. I didn't make that link specifically for me. I um, guess it maybe in the comments a lot of other people didn't as well. Yeah. Um, I did. Yeah, I didn't make that connection either. I, I guess I had the sense, like, benefit of seeing it twice. Own, right? you're, you're a smart yeah. dude. Oh yeah, he did say that. Yeah. Huh? Um, I guess I had the benefit of watching it twice, but I think I I kind of I remember thinking that after I, the first. I I, I didn't think much of it. I kind of just yeah. just I was yeah. Oh, it's one of I those. It's his. cool if you notice it, but if you don't, it's not like gonna blow your I mind thought, i thought maybe he modified his and that's that was their way of making it obvious that he gave his the, to the connection to Gwen, but i'm like oh yeah okay the thing that did for me is when he grabs that thing he's like look i bet this doesn't do anything um it's the same color as the the watch oh, at okay, the end gotcha. uh, again use of color very very well yeah. done in this movie um very good as visual identifiers for sure. Like Hobie's his character design apparently took like three years. I could, I could believe that all the shit that went into it. Um, although you know maybe it's the kind of thing where they did it all longitudinally, so everything, it, you know, modern movie making it all comes together right at the end. An like, animated movie of this scale, I'm sure as well. Yeah, um, um. fucking amazing character design there, um, and. Yeah, huge part of that story. Um, side note, if we're talking about cool, the cool alternate spiders, um, Spider Bite, underrated as a spider ally. <laughs> everyone's talking about Hobie. Everyone's hyping up Hobie. But she was the one who, like, who I feel like is going to be the actual love interest for Miles. Like, Miles and Gwen, yeah. they're, they're, like, more than... They're, like, brother and sister almost at this point, I want to say. They're... I'm sure there are plenty of people who are going to argue if you want to ship them. Like they that. definitely play up the romantic aspect of their relationship in this movie. Mm-hmm. I Miles definitely was hitting on Spider Bite. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Thousand were, percent. Were, oh, yeah. Okay, that's what I'm saying. There's a lot of flirting going on. But, like, <laughs> that pays off in that, like, she's the one who lets him Let's get him out go. There. Although. Um, unfortunately for Miles, not to the correct universe. Because as we learn, when he goes back to the Spider Society, we get introduced to all the different spider people. It's a grand old time. Uh, That's he... another one where if you were, you know, I, I even caught this. As soon as they moved forward, they were doing that whole sequence. I'm like, oh, oh, he's not he's not in his own world. Like, they set that up at the beginning with the whole introduction of the go-home machine where he's, when they explained specifically that it's based on your DNA. Yeah. And they explained yeah. 10 minutes earlier that Spite, uh, that Miles has DNA from a different universe of Spider. I'm like, yes. Okay, and so we, we learned that um, so afterwards, Miles goes back to Spider Society. We, we get He gets introduced to Miguel um, and Peter B. Parker comes back into the fray here. He got kind of backseated a lot in this movie. I'm hoping he has a slightly bigger role in the next movie. But mm-hmm. if he doesn't, it's okay because he was such a big part of the first movie. Um, and if, if we are going to continue on this contention that, like, Gwen is the secret protagonist, like, he and her don't have, like, a super important relationship. Like, yeah. He's a mentor to her. Yeah. They were friendly enough, but they weren't, like, close. Like, yeah. Right. So in um, the context of her story, like, I can see why he would step back a little bit. Though she, he is the first one she goes and gets. Uh, 
to to save Miles. So um, we're back at the Spider Society. Canon events get explained. We see a lot of cool things like Donald Glover as as the Prowler. Um, you know, Andrew Garfield and and Tobey Maguire show up in archive footage. Um, all, all the different spider P- Peter Parked car. Mm-hmm. Peter Parked car, Peter was, Parked car. Was, a, was a humorous um, one. Oh, the fucking the Lego Spider Man. That was that was excellent. Uh, the boop, boop. Was I love one of the best. <laughs> um, yeah. So, um, after he gets explained the canon events, uh, he's told he can't leave the safe as dad. Uh, Hobie gives him the encouragement to break out, and then the big chase scene happens, and this is kind of the climax of this movie. Right, this this is the big airport ch- fight. Yeah. Um, everyone's chasing after him. He's he's doing miles things. He's he's evading them. He's ducking and diving. Uh, there's a lot of visual humor. Yeah, it's blending action and comedy and like um heavy themes. You know. Yeah. Being woven together. Because like the speech that his mom gives him before she lets him go after he gets grounded, um, is like. You're gonna meet these these great people. You're gonna do all these great things, and don't let anyone ever tell you you don't belong. And Miguel very specifically tells him he doesn't belong, <laughs> which activates the fuck you in him. <laughs> the, the fight or flight response has been triggered, and uh, you know they have their showdown, and Miles outmaneuvers him and gets back to the go home machine. And Spider Bite, you know, lets him lets him pass through. And he gets sent to the wrong dimension, though. He gets sent to Earth-42, which didn't have a Spider-Man, so New York is quite literally on fire in this universe. And this is where... Gotta love gotta love the fact that just the absence of Spider-Man just creates chaos. Yep. Well, I mean, I mean super villains... Spider-Man is. That, and super sure villains enough. exist in this world, and there's no superhero to yeah. fight them. So it kind of makes sense. Like, they, they pay lip service to the Sinister Six cartel... Um, and that sort of thing. Um, but this is where, where my, I think the audience reacts wrong to this scene. Like every time I've seen it so far, um, when he tells his mom that he's Spider-Man and she goes, who's Spider-Man? Everyone laughs at that scene, but that's when you're supposed to know, uh Oh, something ain't right here. Yeah. 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 I don't know why people would laugh at that. Part of it is, um, People don't, it doesn't even click with them yet. It, it maybe takes another couple beats for them to kind of come like, oh, oh, this is what's going on. Cause like the second time yeah. I saw it, maybe it was younger crowd, but people didn't really react until like Gwen said, oh, he's in the wrong universe. Yeah. That's so <laughs> well, I, I saw people online. They were like, dude, it totally took me by surprise when he, when he showed up and, you know, when that whole line dropped, I was totally confused. It's like now there's there's one level where you don't you don't pick up on the stuff like Hobie building his own uh, trans trans dimensional uh, bracelet, and then there's like there's the next level, which is not picking up on all the visual cues and the the story plot where uh, they're obviously bringing everything to this this point and setting this up. And I'm and again this isn't like obvious obvious. But um, it, it's, it's there if you're if you're if you have been intentively watching the movie, it shouldn't take you by surprise. I'll say that. Or it shouldn't um, take you by as much surprise. It's still a quiet well, twist. Yeah. 
Because even even the uh, like, I mean, they were setting up the the different universe, uh, the, the ending up in the different universe, Earth forty two is what they call it. Um, you know, since a little bit earlier in the movie, uh, so it wasn't that long ago that they set that up, and then on top of that, you're entering a literally the room. scene before when Miguel and he yeah. are fighting on the the bullet train. <laughs> Another reoccurring movie theme here. Um, yeah. And he says the spider that bit you came from a different dimension. Like literally, the next scene, he uses the go home machine. <laughs> and they, well, they 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 showed the spider with the forty two on it multiple times, oh. and then the computer says scanning your blood, Earth. sending you to Earth forty two. And I'm like, okay, well, yeah. Then if they're sending it to the one that that spider's from, then he's not. They mentioned not as yeah, and they mentioned. They do a decent they job show of a like montage of a spider biting his arm and the venom going into his DNA. Yeah. yeah. Well, the other thing, uh, when they do like a flashback or when they were talking about them taking the spider out of Earth forty two, it was about to bite the Miles Morales that turns it that's a prowler at the end, because you see his braids yeah. in the back. So they even set up the braided Miles Morales from earlier in the film. Yeah, I actually didn't just, catch that. That's a good one. Yeah, there's 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 a lot of nice. I didn't catch that either. So this I have to, is, this is part shout of out to our new rock stars. The way this movie uh, is <laughs> like movie details is gonna fucking explode once this. Yeah, there are so many things to catch, which is why I'm. I think I'm gonna go see it again tonight. Um, yeah, I'll so I'll see it either again tonight or after disc golf tomorrow. Maybe both. Who knows. <laughs> Por qué no los dos? I got Regal Unlimited, baby. I'm using it this month. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, this movie ends in a very. Um, I had some more I wanted to say about. It. Maybe I'll remember as I'm going. But this movie ends very much like Empire Strikes Back, almost, where everyone's separated, everyone's split up after the big conflict. Um, yeah. Well, maybe that's it, <laughs> and it ends on kind of a little somber note. Um, but how this does it different is that everyone's starting to gear back up. Yeah, I think it ends on an optimistic note because, like, you, you've set the stage, right? Spots come back to Brooklyn. Uh, Miguel and Jess are in 1610. Uh, Gwen's gathered the crew. And after making up with her father. Which after is making up with her father, which is a big, yeah, that's himself. a great that's character arc. looking, like, schlubby, like, uh, and it's, like, the beautiful halo around him. Yeah, so that's excellent. Oh, that's what I wanted to say. Um, fucking just all every every scene. Make a please make a poster background out of everything. You know, like some of the iconic shit, like Miles and uh, Gwen sitting upside down on the building with upside down New York in the background. Yeah. Um, every different universe they go to, spot in his own dimension. Um, that scene where they're they're making up right at the end in the apartment. Um, yeah, all all just insanely beautiful. And the um, last I paid a lot of attention to the score. The score was great. It just if it, it fit right in. The I score was good. They kept the same spider motif from the first movie. Um, they kept the same like uh, soundtrack DNA, which is great. Which they should be doing. That's a that's a good thing. If you don't do that, poo poo on you. Yeah, I feel like the score was a little bit better in the first one. Um, cause they're, I, I don't know. I just, I always think of that scene where, uh, you know, he, he 
first comes to he puts it all together as as his own version oh, yeah. of Spider-Man. Like, what's up danger? Yeah. yeah. I, look, I, look that, I look that shit up all the time. Um like there there is no like music cue uh visual equivalent here, yeah. which is is not not to say that it's bad or anything. It's just it wasn't there. Um and the first one I think was better. You can uh, something can be better and the other thing can still be good. <laughs> Yeah. Um, but yeah, the, the last scene in this movie, which is why I say it kind of ends on more of an act, uplifting note, is him like getting ready to like venom the chains off him and and throw down and, and save his pops. Mm-hmm. And then you get hit with the big to be continued. Everyone's like, what? Yeah. Um, there is one scene that I want to talk about. I think it's one of my favorite little subtle scenes in the movie. Um, it's during the everyone's split up, but they haven't. It's during that montage where everyone's kind of. It's the cool down from the big fight. Everyone's kind of mm-hmm. regrouping and knowing what their next move is. They haven't revealed that Miles is in the wrong universe yet. Um, and it's Peter B. Parker putting Mayday to sleep with, uh, you know, back at home. And he comes home from it. And it's just this little scene of just the slice of domestic life that he he has and he gets to enjoy and it's this nice little reprieve in what's a what's supposed to be a pretty dour uh sort of part of the movie and it's this yeah. little hint of levity and it's such a it's, it's a beautiful little blend it's coffee and cream right there <laughs> um yeah and it also highlights like that's that that's kind of his scene because again like you said he doesn't get a lot of uh screen time relative to some of the other characters. But he does get that yeah. scene where he says, you know, he gets to see that, you know, right now he's he's kind of getting his happily, not ever after, but happy for now. He's got a family. Yeah. He he managed to save, to, to uh, I guess, um, yeah, they kind of save his own life from where it was spiraling. Yeah, he, he's pulled himself out. He's bettered himself. And I'm really hoping in the next movie, like, the bathrobe comes off. And like we see that he's like back in shape. If he he's got his life together, come in as like classic, classic style Spider Man. I think he's supposed to be the six one six Spider Man. Yeah. So like he he should. (laughs) I would I would like to see that. Um, that would be a great kind of finish to his character arc too. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um. So obviously, real excited. Got got March twenty sixth, I think twenty twenty four circled on my calendar. Good things happen in March. That's when the next one comes out. Um, so you know, not quite a year, and we waited five for this one, and it was worth the wait. Like I, I've never been so excited for a movie that I can remember in a long time, possibly ever, and I am I'm so relieved that it lived up to lofty expectations and arguably exceeded them. Um, and it's, it, it's doing commensurate business. It is expected to generate, uh, over $120 million in its opening weekend. Um, it had the biggest opening of the year with $51.7 million on Friday. So many people were expected to come see this that there was actual like security at the theater on Friday. Um, it took in $17.3 million in Thursday previews when, when Peter and I saw it first time. 
Um, and it was only expected to make 80 million in its first weekend. So it's blowing past that shit. Um, and yeah. I'm really happy that like people heeded our advice, saw the first one, and the second one is now being a commensurate financial success. Yeah. This is this is also what I wanted to say, just kind of to put a bow on the whole thing. And I told Kurt this after we left the movie on at we when we saw it on Thursday. Like, I don't this is very cheesy Robert e, Roger Ebert of me, but I will unironically call this movie a triumph. Yeah, that, it, it really is. Um it took it's taken the superhero genre to a place where it has not been before, like to a level that it has not reached yet. I said this kind of during Infinity War. I said I made a similar point during Infinity War, but I'll say it again here. Like, imagine going back to Raimi, Spider-Man 2 from Raimi back in, <laughs> back in like 2004, and you just saw Tobey Maguire uh, beat Doc Ock and, and have him redeemed. And you're like, this Spider-Man is amazing. This is great. Like, hey, I'm here from 20 years in the future. This is what Spider-Man movies look like now. And everyone yeah. just gets it. Like, that's the thing. When you have, like, the fa- the very fact that there's, like, a gajillion to jillion, uh, million, billion Spider-Men in this, and they all have their own thing going on, and there's all this shit happening, and everyone just gets it, <laughs> that's crazy. Yeah. It like, really that, is. That it's a super wide release, and everyone's laughing at, like, weird deep cuts and, like, obscure-ass cameos. Fucking memes, you know, pointing at yeah. If you yeah, ask like, other... in 2004, what's animated movies? And they go, uh, Disney and Simpsons and anime. And anime at that time was, like, Full Metal Alchemist. Not even Brotherhood. <laughs> um, go, this is what animated movies look like now. And yeah. Everyone gets it. Like, yeah. that's... It's, it's crazy. It's such a... It is, such it is crazy that... It's state of the art. Yeah. In our lifetime, we went from, like... X-Men being a risky niche project for Fox to, yeah. to you know... Oh, you're going to make a superhero movie? Oh. Like, and obviously they had tried Marvel movies in the, the mid-90s, and they all fucking sucked. So, like, the fact that we've come this far in the genre and, and like, not only, not only from a financial and, like, big event perspective, like it was with Endgame and, and Infinity War, not to say that those weren't good movies also... Because you know that era of Marvel was more often than not pretty good, but like, like I said, this is art. Like this is like cinematic. What people refer to as like artsy cinema, like you know classic cinema, good cinema. This is it, man. This is a an artistic effort that happens to be about a comic book character that a lot of people really like, and to the shock of no one, it's uh, like. <laughs> Not only is this going to win um, Best Animated Picture, I expect it to be nominated for Best Picture, and it's got a decent shot of winning it. Um, I don't know if the Academy would ever really award Best Picture to a comic book movie, but if ever there was... Yeah, there's a first time for everything, and if ever there was one... That wasn't the Dark Knight. <laughs> it would be this one. <laughs> um, exactly the the fucking the the glove has been, the gloves are off. 
the dick has been slapped out on the table. The challenge has been laid down. Taken. Yeah. This is the standard. I wouldn't say this is the standard, but this is this is the peak. This is yeah. uh, What everyone else in in the in the industry. This is the uh, new litmus litmus test. Yeah. But the top contender, for sure. All right. Well, that's Spider Verse. Yeah, that's Spider Verse across the Spider Verse. Um, we'll be back next week. Thank you for tuning in to episode 369 of the Seven Podcast. Uh, until next time, be well, stay safe, and party like it's 1995. Peace. Bye bye. <laughs>